Lord God, you promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. If you knew you had less than a week to live, what would you do? If you knew your death was imminent, how would you respond? I think many of us would weep, if not for ourselves, for the loved ones that we would leave behind. But how would you respond? Would you pray more? Would you seek God more, more seriously? Or would you simply throw caution to the wind and say something like, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry as long as I can? In our gospel lesson for this morning, Jesus knows he has less than a week to live. He knows his death is imminent. And he also knows that his death will be unlike any other. He knows that his death will be a God-forsaken one. And although he's without sin, he knows that he will die as the most sinful man who ever lived. And I think we can also say the only sinful man who ever lived. Because as the prophet tells us, the Lord will lay the iniquity of us all on him. He will die rejected by his countrymen, abandoned by his friends, and disowned by his Father in heaven. In his death, there will be no mercy shown, no compassion given. He will die alone. And how he responds to his death is not only instructive for us, but more importantly, it is redemptive for the world. You know, the scripture says, the wages of sin is death. Now, a wage is what you're owed. However, in this case, the sinner's wage is not paid to sinners like you and me, but it's paid to the innocent Son of God. And therefore, St. Paul writes, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, the wages of sin, what we earn, is death. But it's paid out in full to Christ. 
And therefore, the Lord gives eternal life to us in Christ as a free gift. This is Palm Sunday. And our Lord enters Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's interesting. Those are the very same words we repeat here in the communion liturgy of the church. Every Lord's Day we, we sing in the Sanctus, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those are the words we sing every Lord's Day before the consecration of the bread and the wine, before the Lord's word is spoken over those earthly elements so that the body and blood of Jesus are truly present by the power of his word. Not by my power or any human power, but by the strength of his word. Therefore, just as Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to accomplish his work of forgiving the sins of the people, so we celebrate every Lord's Day the coming of the Lord himself into our midst in his flesh, in his blood, to receive him for the forgiveness of our sins. And because our Lord is present with us, the words of the prophet Zechariah are repeated in our gospel lesson for today. Fear not, daughter of Zion, your king comes to you. Now, those words, fear not, in the Greek, should be read this way. Stop your fearing. Stop being afraid. And you see, it assumes that we are fearing. We are afraid. We fear COVID-19. And we fear one another because of the virus. We fear the loss of income. We fear isolation. It's easy to say, stop fearing. It's harder to do. And that brings us to Roman number one in our outline on page nine of your bulletin. The antidote to fear is the presence of another. That's always the solution to fears, the presence of another whom you trust. As a child growing up, you may have been afraid of the dark. Maybe you still are at times. But the presence of someone else creates confidence. Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, our Lord comes to us in the midst of our fear and he will not allow your sins or mine to stand between himself and us. He will come and overcome that sin and all the condemnation it entails 
and close the distance between himself and us. That's what he does. And he does it even now. You know, we like to say, because it's true, that the Lord ordinarily comes to you through people. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever hears you, hears me. He comes to us through people. And he comes to us today. It may be through a telephone call. It may be through a Zoom meeting. It may be through a live stream, like today. But the Lord comes, and his presence solves our fears. Letter A, fear grows in the soil of isolation. In the soil of isolation. It always does. You know, the Lord did not create us to be alone. And I believe the greatest fear that we have is the fear of aloneness. We may not consciously be aware of it, but when we experience it, I think it's the greatest fear we can, we can have. This is why the Lord creates us to be in community. This is why he said of the man, even though the man had everything we could desire on earth, he said, it is not good for you to be alone. I will make a helper for you. He will remove the aloneness. Marriage is one way. It's not the only way. Most of us, God calls into marriage, but not everyone. We all have our gift. But the Lord calls us into the fellowship of the faithful, you see. This is what he does. This is how he overcomes our aloneness. And that's letter B. God calls us into the fellowship of the faithful. And I recall our Lord praying in the garden on the night before he was crucified. And he said to the inner circle of his disciples, he said, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Stay awake and watch with me. Well, at that moment, the fellowship failed him. Sometimes the fellowship does. As we often say, Jesus did not call perfect people to follow him. He called sinners like you and me. I recall another episode. This is at the end of the book of Acts where Luke writes, Paul is sailing to Rome. He is going there to stand trial and he lands at the port just above Naples. And he's been through a long and wearisome voyage. Nearly lost his life. And we read in the book of Acts, chapter 28, that there were brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, who came all the way down from Rome. They traveled between 40 and 50 miles to meet Paul, to greet him, and to accompany him back to Rome. And, and we read that when Paul saw the brothers and sisters get gathered around him, he took courage. He was heartened by that. You see, that's, that's what the fellowship of the faithful does for us. That's God's intent. So, Jesus faces his own mortality. This is Roman numeral two, being mortal. And that's signaled by the coming of the Gentiles in our gospel reading for today. Those who oppose Jesus are frustrated. The whole world is going after him, they say. 
And then we read that some Greeks, some Gentiles, approached Philip and said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And you see, that's the signal to him, and, and I think even more so, really, to all of us, that now is the time for him to mount the cross and to do what he came to do and to be revealed as the one who's crucified and risen for us all. That's how he wants to be known. He does not want to be known primarily as a great teacher. We have enough of those. He does not want to be known primarily as the healer, although he heals at our request. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today rejoicing in his mercy. But no, he, he wants to be known, and he is revealed by the Father to the world as the one who was crucified for our sins and raised for our justification, raised for our righteousness before God. That's how the world must see him, and he knows it. And that's why at this point he longs for the cross. He knows it's time. It's time. That's letter A. The world has gone out after him, and he knows now what he must do. And letter B, what's his response? What would Jesus do, as they used to say, what would Jesus do when confronted with his death. This is what he does. He continues doing what he's always done. He continues his ministry. He doesn't run from Jerusalem. He doesn't hide. He continues doing what he's always done. On Palm Sunday, he enters the city knowing what awaits him. On Monday of Holy Week, he clears the temple of money changers, creating space in the court of the Gentiles so that people from around the world can gather in the presence of the God of Israel and pray and hear his word. On Tuesday of Holy Week, Jesus is in the temple where the temple police could easily arrest him, but for fear of the people. He's teaching the people as he always has, and he's teaching them in parables. Wednesday of Holy Week, the Gospels are silent on what our Lord was doing then, but I have no doubt he continued to serve. Thursday of Holy Week, he does two things especially notable. Number one, he washes his disciples' feet, and number two, he institutes the Holy Supper of his body and blood. Both of these events proclaim his impending death. On Good Friday, he obediently goes to the cross. You see, what Jesus does when confronted with his death is he stays at his post. He remains on the job. He does what he's always been doing. He doesn't flee Jerusalem. He doesn't go into hiding. Rather, he remains on the job. And you and I are forgiven today because he did. You and I are new creations in Christ because he remained at his post. We have a home in heaven because he stayed 
on the job. And so, letter C in your outline. What is our response? What would your response be if you knew you had less than a week to live? What would you do? What would you do if you knew the world was coming to an end tomorrow? There's a saying about Luther. It's attributed to him. It's also disputed, but it's certainly spoken in the spirit of Luther, even if he didn't actually say it. And it's this. If I knew the world was ending tomorrow, I would still plant my apple tree today. Now, why would he say that? What does he mean by that? He means simply this. If the world were ending tomorrow, he would stay where the Lord has put him. He would remain at his post. He would keep on doing the work that God has called him to do. And so our response in letter C should be remain at your post. Stay at your job. Now I know that today many of us are confined to home. Many of us are working from home. Unfortunately, many of us are not working. But your day job is not the only job the Lord has given you. You're a husband or you're a wife, you're a parent, you're a child, you're a citizen, you're in a position of authority, whatever it may be, these are the posts God has called you to. St. Paul wrote, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He also wrote, wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Pastors, shepherd the flock of God placed in your care. Employers, treat your employees with respect and do not threaten them. And employees, obey your earthly masters as you would obey the Lord. You see, these are the positions God has called you and me to occupy. And, and we don't stop doing these things just because of a pandemic. We don't abandon these posts because of a loss of income or even because of a devastating diagnosis. No, we remain on the job. That is faithfulness, you see. We're reminded today of healthcare workers remaining on the job, first responders, construction workers, maintenance personnel. These people remain at their post to serve their neighbors in love. God has posted you and me to positions as well. He's posted you to a particular marriage relationship. He's posted you in a particular family. 
He's placed you in the midst of a series of relationships, people around you that God intends for you to serve, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what may or may not happen tomorrow. I like the way Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 24. He said, who is that wise steward whom the master has placed over his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that steward whom his master finds so doing when he comes again. Now, if you're like me, when you hear those words, you feel a bit convicted. None of us fulfills our offices perfectly. None of us remains at our posts as we should, in mind, in spirit, 24-7. But that's all the more reason why we should rejoice in our Lord Jesus. Because he remained at his post. He stayed on the job all the way to the cross until he breathed his last. And therefore, you are forgiven today. You are forgiven in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand, we confess together the ancient faith and the good news of our salvation in the Nicene Creed, page 11. 